Hey, this is HK Perrin, and you're listening to Echoplex Media. Check out The Plex live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. When they actually spend their time listening to this show, what does it mean? It means we're winning. I'm white, and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. Welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do the show live every, I was going to say Sunday, it's Wednesday, every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. HK's out on adventures, but we'll be back last week, last week. He will be back last week. You saw him here. He'll be back next week. My brain is a little scrambled. Uh, moving is what it is. Um, So we're going to go ahead and... First of all, there's going to be like an announcement next week. We're going to kind of switch things up around here a little bit. Don't worry. It won't change too much. We're just kind of, we've been covering the same cast of characters for a while. So we're going to expand uh, things out a little bit and uh, maybe include some new people in our cast of characters for this show. But I figure since we're going to do that, um, this would be a good time to re to revisit some of the, like one of the classics. And uh, this is also somebody who seems to have fallen off the face of the earth. This is uh, David Fuller. This is a glitch in the Matrix 2, the origin of the intellectual dark web. The reason we're doing part two is I'm like 99% sure we did part one as uh, one of our episodes of the intellectual dollar tree uh, early on. But I don't think we ever did part two. So this is a film. You'll see him call it a film. Obviously, it's not a film. It's a fucking interview and a YouTube video. But I like that David Fuller was ambitious and called all of his stuff films. Also, uh, there's an article on uh, the Defamation Times. Go to echoplexmedia.com. Click on the Defamation Times. You can find a great article I wrote about David Fuller and his uh, breathwork grift. Anyway, here we go. And I'm sorry. 
The intellectual dark web was first named by the mathematician and physicist Eric Weinstein on Sam Harris's Waking Up podcast in January 2018. It attempted to join together an unlikely group of intellectuals and alternative media personalities, all the way from psychologist Jordan Peterson to podcaster and martial arts commentator Joe Rogan, figures from across the political spectrum across the like from the the, the 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 just barely left of the center to the far right across the political spectrum by their willingness to have open and difficult conversations the name stuck interest in the phenomenon quickly spread far and wide with many thousands joining the conversation online welcomed by some ridiculed by others and even questioned by some in the group it's like a herd of cats, right? Because <laughs> Oh, that's from A Glitch in the Matrix Part 1, well, what, another what, film. What unites us to the degree that there's an us, because that's not so self-evident. There's enough of an us so that the name emerged and it's stuck. So, so there's something in common because otherwise the name wouldn't have stuck. Yeah, what's in com- what they have in common is they all kept going on each other's shows all the time. That's what they had in common. And then they all would do things like, they'd be like, well, isn't it great that we're able to have this conversation? Nothing. It doesn't work. So what is the intellectual dark web? People in the group tend to reject orthodoxy, tend to reject ideology, tend to be interested in first principles thinking, meaning that uh, if you, you don't take something on faith. It's a very smart concept to try to corral a very difficult group of very disparate people they're all like rich white people almost all of them they're all just rich white people who like sniff their own farts into one um orbit i think everybody who's been described as a member of the, the idw probably has among other things one thing in common which is they all are used to being howled at for saying things that are self-evident howled at in public only to howled at just just overly dramatic no it's like people are making fun of you or in your case you know criticizing you and discover that the public come up to them in private and say thank you so much for saying what we think i would say it is actually the manifestation of the process of thinking that's more important than the conclusions that are generated you need a group of people who are willing to say hey you know you made a better point i've changed my mind and I, oh, when the fuck has Eric Weinstein ever changed his mind because somebody made a point? Get the fuck out of here. This guy is this guy is like the most full of himself of all of them and the least likely to change his mind and the most the one who's most likely to get most angry at people who criticize him. Learn something that I didn't think about. And that kind of um, integrity in a conversation is what characterizes uh, a lot of the internal IDW discussion to me. It's that people agree not on their positions. They may not even agree as to what the facts are, but they usually agree as to what constitutes a conversation. The intellectual dark web seemed like something Eric Weinstein came up with on the spur of the moment, but it wasn't. It had been years in the making. Part of me wants to work uh, quietly, and part of me realizes that we have to work in some public facing capacity and dude you're like a megalomaniac shut up it much more comfortable to have a private life um to not have uh everything that i'm thinking 
um, broadcast uh, to a large audience. But, I but there, wait, there are public figures. This is weird because there are public figures out there who uh, everything they think doesn't get broadcast out. This is called, um, I think I learned this concept when I was eight. It was called, uh, think a little bit before you open your damn mouth. You don't have to say everything you think. I think we've run out of time. And so um, I think some of us are somewhat reluctantly uh, choosing to make a, a different call now. I think that with the current administration in the White House, you're seeing a, a real discontinuity with the past. And it wasn't the discontinuity that I was hoping for. Uh, we had to break with the past. And I think that the way in which we are now breaking with the past is so destructive. Um, nobody knows what to believe. Nobody quite knows what's true. Nobody knows where to turn. Um, this is not a tenable situation. And so either we're going to descend into some kind of so brave. chaos. They're like, or the, the thing is, they said that they reject orthodoxy. It's just that they're like, a lot of what they're saying is like an orthodoxy from a, a by, from a past. Some of it's from a past that never even really happened, right? But the, the, the orthodoxy they have is just like, uh, like kind of old, like almost like old, like center right, capital R, like Republican stuff. It have to be something that we reboot from. And that thing cannot be simply left or simply right. And that's one of the reasons that the IDW is hopeful to me. This is the origin story of the IDW. This is a bit over the top is what this is. Okay, this is very over the top. What started off this path that I find myself on is that I was curious about certain things. I was curious about the world and I wanted to ask a bunch of questions about... But you also wanted to be the one that gave the answers, friendo. Well, really, pretty much everything. And I find that if you keep asking why questions, you eventually... It's like a five-year-old. Do you ever meet a five-year-old or a six-year-old that learns the word why? They're like, why? But why? 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 Either... A, get tired, or B, become a theoretical physicist or mathematician. And so many of the deepest questions led to a kind of disciplined way of thinking about the world um, where we see all of the complexity in the world around us as being built up from very simple and beautiful patterns. I don't know when they mean like disciplined way of thinking about the world. I'm not sure what that means. I think it's like a, like a signal. It's like a, like a, like a bat signal, but it's like a galaxy brain. It's like, I'm smart. I think about things in a disciplined way. Like, do you? It was my desire to contribute to that story. Um, in particular with theoretical physics. Then, that, but this guy hasn't published anything in theoretical physics. Like he, he has a degree and that's fine. It's a tough degree to get. Like I would have had a very difficult time getting like a PhD in physics or mathematics, I think. Um, not because maybe I don't have the intellectual chops, but I probably don't have the work discipline to, to get that kind of degree. But like the, this guy went and worked for Peter Thiel's venture firm. He's not doing theoretical physics. That began my path. But at the time that I really emerged as an adult, uh, theoretical physics was in a great deal of difficulty and trouble. And I think as I came to understand that there was a big story that was going to affect everything that I cared about. It was going to affect the markets, it was going to affect our families, our sense of ourselves, our security. And that story is the story of what happens when humans get addicted 
to high levels of broadly distributed, stable technology-led growth, and then are denied the ability to continue on that path. That means that you're set up potentially for war, for what? civil unrest, uh, for... Oh, it's this, this stuff, if you remember when we were watching a bunch of Peter Thiel stuff, they, they're acting like, um, basically, since we invented the rocket, or since like rocketry came around, there haven't been any big technological advances. And it's just incorrect. It's, I think that they, they think that we're supposed to have flying cars and shit, but I don't, you seen the way people drive in two dimensions. You want to add a third dimension to that? That's why we don't have flying cars. It's dangerous. Uh, communism, if people try to grab what their neighbor has or fascism, if people try to maintain order at all costs, I define this thing called an ego or an embedded growth obligation. And an embedded growth obligation is how fast a structure has to grow in order to maintain its honest positions. So if you have a situation in which you have um, trial lawyers and they're supported by various associates, uh, and the associates all want to become partners uh, and trial lawyers themselves, then what you have is you have a situation where the law firm has to grow at a very fast clip if all those people are going to be uh, satisfied. It's just describing a corporate structure in which not everybody gets promoted. Like, with their job decisions. It's not, this isn't like well, some kind of revelation. Quickly, that ability to grow runs out. And then people want to know, why am I stuck in a position going nowhere? Well, the same thing was happening in theoretical physics. It was happening in mathematics. It was happening in the pension funds. It was happening absolutely everywhere except for a small number of places like startups and hedge funds, which for a period of time were able to buck that trend. And as I came to understand that we were in some sort of society-wide Ponzi scheme since the... This guy's film needs an audio engineer the late 60s early 70s and that there was no way to continue to grow our way out using the previous tools um, I started to understand that society was going to be lying about almost everything at almost all times and that's a very terrifying thought to have we have effectively entered a period in which we cannot trust our experts and I think that what began as a desire well, to see like when they talk about this when they're like oh we can't trust the experts well you you don't trust just one of them but like peer review and like replication and stuff that still works that's how everything that we've ever invented and then iterated on and made better that's how all that works how do you think your fucking computer gets got so much fucking faster than it was 10 years ago how do you think your phone got more powerful than your computer was 10 years ago was it because we abandoned expertise contribute and to do real work ended with an understanding that we've got two generations of institutional experts that are corrupted and that we cannot wake up from this crazy fever dream that we're all in because we can't figure out who we can still trust the doctors are compromised, the professors are compromised, the journalists are compromised, the politicians are compromised. Or as the media wench often says, you know, if you're starting to look around and think everybody else is wrong, what if it's you? What if it's you? What if, what if you're the one who's maybe not compromised? Well, maybe this guy is. He's like compromised by his own ego and his own like delusions of grandeur. About the only thing that isn't badly compromised are people with an independent source of sustenance. Individuals in very small groups 
are about the only thing that is free of this disease of the so like cults <laughs> like a cult added growth obligation and so the paradox is is that the individuals have Nexium? to save the institutions that are trying to extinguish them because the institutions don't want to hear this message but in fact if they don't make use of the tiny number of people functioning as individuals or in small organizations all of this is like a polycule because it cannot continue uh, along its current exponential path. That exponential gave out a long time ago, and it's like Wile E. Coyote running off of the cliff. As soon as he realizes that there's nothing holding him up, down we fall. There's two games here. There's trying to get the best deck chairs on the Titanic, and there's trying to rescue the ship. And in general, um, nobody can think of how to rescue the ship, which is... A to be fair, the Titanic was... That that boat got pretty fucked up when it hit that when it hit that iceberg. I don't think there was like there wasn't much you could do to fix the ship. Rearranging the deck chairs was kind of stupid, but uh, I don't think anybody did that. I think that's like a um, like a figure of speech. So I don't I don't think anybody on the Titanic was going to prevent it from sinking after it hit the iceberg. It's a daunting task. So instead, what we're doing is we're fighting for position uh, in a losing game, and it's important that that stop. You've, you've talked about this phrase, the war on excellence. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a very counterintuitive or a very odd thing to be declaring war on. Well, yeah. Um, so it has to do with uh, excellence in and of itself isn't the problem. The problem is that we don't realize that excellence is a modality that is expensive. Um, when I mean, they both start with the X. We usually pursue some activity that has very low variance. An excellent sprinter is going to be somebody whose times are usually very tight around uh, their personal best. Well, okay. Right, but because they're, they're at the limit. That's as fast as they can go. Those low variance behaviors are at the cost of high variance behaviors. And most of what I think actually ends up moving the dial in human history is high variance human activity. So what is it that allows um, somebody who's as unreliable as Jim Watson of double helix fame to repeatedly uh, deliver outstanding discoveries? So you uh, probably grad students and uh, postdoc people that are working under him whose names you'll never know. Just a guess. You have a guy who you can't take to any party. And on the other hand, uh, a giant chunk of uh, modern molecular biology is due to him and cellular biology. So you have very this great man of this great man of history, a theory or whatever or hypothesis that's it's just always false. These things are always a team of people. So that guy had a team of people working with them. Variance individuals who are maddening. They're difficult, they're unpleasant, they're time-consuming, but they're able to play the far-right tale of the distribution and bring us unbelievable wonders. So a famous example for me is Bill Shockley, who was a eugenicist, uh, kind of uh, a bit of a nutcase uh, with respect to certain ideas to, to many. On the other hand, you know, he was one of the prime reasons that we got the semiconductor and built an industry around it. 
And if you think about all of the things that are done with transistors, um, you know, a lot of them go back to Bill Shockley. Okay. Well, are we willing to do they though? Like I, this person may have had like had some discovery, but again, if he was like working in academia, he had grad students, post postdoc people working with him, probably other, other faculty and whatnot too. Up uh, our semiconductors uh, in order to protest Shockley's uh, excesses in, in, in the field of eugenics. I, I, in general, am not. I'm willing to tolerate a lot of eccentricity and difficult behavior. And I'm willing to tolerate a lot of eccentricity and difficult behavior, apparently up to and including eugenics. As long as uh, I've been told a, a fucking tall tale about some great man of history. Pleasant people. And I think it's absolutely imperative that we realize that as a society, we are standing on the shoulders, not only of giants, but of jerks of unseemly people, very marginal individuals who have nevertheless contributed much of the genius. It stands in like stark contrast with the way he talks about um, like reasons he won't ever speak to people who are critical of him, right? Like he won't talk to Sam Cedar because he thinks Sam Cedar is a jerk, but it's like, aren't you right now? Like, isn't this contradictory? Doesn't doesn't like what he's saying now sort of contradict with the way he kind of operates in the, the this supposed marketplace of ideas? I think it does. That undergirds uh, our modern productive society. And I think it's absolutely appalling that we don't even know our own history to know this uncomfortable relationship and how important it is to allow in high variance individuals into a world which now attempts to shut them out by claiming that we need excellence at all costs and highly agreeable people with very small variants. This is a, a one-way ticket to irrelevancy. Nature provides a lot of very difficult people who are very disagreeable with very high variances, particularly. But like we do things in teams. And so if you're like shitty to work with, your team isn't going to be that effective. This guy's just, he's just fully bought into the, the great man of history myth. That's it. That's all that's going on here. Disabled community has very high variances. And I believe that they're not eliminated, eliminated from the gene pool for a reason. I believe that they're there to be the innovators. And so we're killing our own innovative class with all of these extra requirements for collegiality or um, diversity or um, some kind of regularity. Because often everybody on the team has one idea and the idea that you need is the one guy who won't go along. So how do we get people who are, um, if you know the ash conformity experiment, ash negative, that is that they don't go along with what everybody's pretending to, to claim as their own perspective. On each card there are several lines. Your task is a very simple one. You're to look at the line on the left and determine which of the three lines on the right is equal to it in length. Two. 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 Uh, two. The subject denies the evidence of his own eyes and yields to group influence. We also want people who are Milgram negative, if you know the But Mil they're showing, like, one, what percentage of people did that? And also there's, like, optical illusions. What if... What if you what if you know about optical illusions and you're like, oh, I think it's the they're the one on the very far right, but all these other people, like <clears throat> Milgram experiment of Stanley Milgram. 
If you make an error, however, you'll be punished with an electric shock. So, of course, it is to your advantage that you learn all these word pairs as quickly as possible. You want people, when asked to push the bus buzzer to administer an electric shock, uh, tell the experimenter to buzz off rather than the people who go along with it when they're assured that they will not be held personally responsible. So, in part, you have to recognize that um, heroic behavior comes from a group of people who, but the thing about the, the Milgram experiment is, what if some of those people are like, you're not shocking anyone, <laughs> right? Like, what if, what if they don't believe you that they're actually shocking anyone? Then what? Uh, are viewed as somewhat unsavory by the mainstream, and that's fine. What makes you so certain that those kind of individuals are not part of the establishment at the moment? Well, first of all, even where they are part of the establishment at the moment, they talk to us in hushed tones, like, oh, you don't know how, how bad it's gotten. I, I can't say that anymore. Fifteen years ago, I could say that. Now I could lose my job. Like, you're, you're actually, th those people are still there, but th they're not free to think. They go to another school um, and I can't introduce you to and them. And the penalty for like a single misstep, I mean, even imagine that you have a bad thought, you say a bad thing. Was that the end of your career? We're going to dispose of high ability people because they it's make not about what you think. It's about your behavior. Color joke in the wrong setting. That's not what you think. That's what you did. Right. You could think of something. He called it off color. You could think it and then not say it. You can think all kinds of things and not say or do them. We do it all the time. Like, that's insane. I, I don't know how to, how, to, how to say it. Like, you could have somebody who might be on the verge of a cure for cancer. And uh, if they told some joke um, that offended somebody's gender sensibilities, that person could be out of a job. But they wouldn't be doing it all by themselves. Their team would still be in place. Like, this is ridiculous. Well, that's insane. I mean, it's very important to understand that level of intolerance, of, of fragility, has to be driven out of the institutions that require these high agency individuals. And is your sense that that process of um, excellence keeping out genius is actually a civilizational threat or is, is, is partly to do with the, the, the situation that we find ourselves in? Yeah, I mean, let's just... Um, like, excellence, like, you can track excellence, right? Like, you can, the excellence is measurable for the most part. You can track whether or not somebody's getting results. You can't really, it's, like, really hard to measure genius. And uh, what's in the background of this is that Eric is mad that nobody in the fields of physics or mathematics recognize his genius because he sure ain't achieved any excellence in those fields. Let's just talk about disagreeability as a trait. Right now, we have all sorts of things that need people to say no to them and to point the way towards something else. No, we should not be um, pushing for citizenship for everyone in the, in the country who's here illegally. No, Why not? we should not be allowing uh, the claim that... Um, Islam is the religion of peace and therefore the least uh, close to any kind of violent act. Okay, so people are already uh, saying no to that, actually. There's tons of people saying no to both of those things.
Obviously, they've got a problem and we, they need our help and we need their help. We need to be talking about these things. Obviously, trade is extremely redistributive. And to claim that it makes, that it makes a rising tide which raises all boats is malpractice for an economist to mouth those words. We need to clean house for people who are lying, obviously lying, about very simple things. But who decides who's lying and then who cleans house? That's the problem with this is he wants, it seems like he wants, basically he wants the people who he agrees with to be in charge and to clean house. But I don't even know what that means and how you would go about doing that. Uh, and the only people who are likely to be those, the people who are going to say that, are going to be people who, with their own theories. They're going to be people who are highly disagreeable, highly creative, and somewhat self-destructive. We want those people rather than the, we have excellent people, and that's our problem. It's a plague. And it's not that excellence is bad, it's that we have way too many excellent people in proportion to the number of geniuses and heroes in the population. <laughs> Just too many excellent people and not enough fucking heroes. <sighs> that's, that's, I'd rather work with them. Um, if I was working on a team, I'd rather work with people who were excellent, who were highly competent, said what they were going to do, did what they said they were going to do. And um, maybe were able to even help me out when I needed it and were able to ask for help when they needed it versus someone in there who thought they were a fucking genius or they thought they were some hero that was going to come fix everything and they weren't excellent at their job. That would suck. Working with a bunch of people who think they're a fucking genius or a hero. Imagine trying to get anything done when everybody around you thinks that they're the smartest person in the room. Nobody ever gets anything done. It's just like a big dick contest of everybody's intellectual ego. That sounds terrifying Sewell Wright um, was an evolutionary biologist and a beautiful analogy of this called a fitness landscape and his perspective was um, when you're doing things mostly right uh, you can figure out how to do them a little bit better by figuring out what gets you a slightly better outcome with small variations and so this was analogized to climbing a little hill of fitness. Mm -hmm. But if you imagine that fundamentally you're pretty close to the top and the really high uh, fitness peak is across a valley that you have to go down to go up, what does that feel like in terms of an innovator? Um, how does an innovator experience it? Well, uh, you might see yourself maxing out your credit cards. You might see your relationship in tatters. Uh, you might see that you've overpromised and underdelivered, and you've got only two weeks to come up with a solution, and you've got nothing. The kinds of people who are willing to take on those sorts of assignments. Wait a minute. Are, what, why do your relationships like if you're just trying to solve some uh, technical problem or some uh, trying to fucking galaxy brain some intellectual thing? Why do your relationships have to suffer? That's weird. That's incredibly weird. Why? I've solved all kinds of problems gone through all kind of shit and haven't just been like insufferable to the people around me are going to be very frightening to the general population and great that's wonderful we have to make sure that those people have a home in science in startups Wait, why? in journalism in sense making in anything innovative oh they belong in sense making trust me those people are insufferable 
so that fundamentally you don't get these levels of consensus around total nonsense that keep cropping up inside of the institutional framework. I think what, what they do is they construct very durable narratives about people who um, refuse to go along. So in general, when I hear the word consensus, my initial hit on the word consensus is negative. Why is that? It's because if everybody agrees that something is true, like two plus three equals five, you don't need a consensus. Nobody talks about the arithmetic. No, that is a consensus. <laughs> what the fuck does he mean if everybody agrees something's true? Friendo, that's what consensus means. Census. Everybody who doesn't subscribe to the arithmetic consensus uh, goes nowhere. They can't build a house. They, they can't, uh, you know, handle money. Okay, so there's no need to call it the arithmetic consensus. On the other hand, um, if things are actually open-ended, very rare for people to all bunch together around one set of tentative ideas. So what you find is that in general, you would expect a cacophony of people, each with their own pet ideas when things are genuinely uncertain, or you would find everybody falling in line when more or less it's clear that, uh, that the world goes one particular way. So but what about all the uh, space between total uncertainty and, for example, like arith uh, arithmetic, two plus two equals four, three plus three equals three. What about all the space between that? Those aren't like the two, dis there's not like the two ways something can be. Things can't be just completely nobody knows and everybody kind of has an idea about it or everybody knows the answer. Things aren't, those aren't the two options. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in between that. So in general, I think what's going on with a consensus is that a consensus is usually achieved through some sort of incentivizing people as the, uh, as the mobs, uh, the violent mobs in Mexico say, plato o plomo, do you want silver or do you want lead? So you're given a certain amount of encouragement to come to a particular perspective, maybe in terms of grant money or speaking opportunities, and you're given a disincentive, which is this is what's going to happen to your career if you don't fall in line. And so using a plato o plomo model, you suddenly get a lot of people the pretending that they all agree to some kind of consensus position. Consensus thinking almost destroyed the financial system in 2008. Eric had been warning about the danger of mortgage-backed securities since 2002. I got very involved in economics, uh, tried to bring some of the discipline that came from theoretical physics and differential. Yeah, but that was after he worked for, he was working for Peter Thiel already, I think. And uh, Peter Thiel in his uh, venture fund, uh, not, not Thiel Capital, but the big one, the Founders Fund, was instrumental in the first crash, the, not the first crash, the crash around 2000, the first tech crash. So I don't know. Geometry uh, into neoclassical economic theory we were some of the first people to become alarmed about the role of mortgage-backed securities and their ability to potentially blow up the world economic system. By 2008, it had become clear to everyone that- But he wrote like, he like, was mentioned in one article in 2002 about it. That doesn't mean that he was like screaming from the rooftops. It means that he said something about it. A tons of, ton of people had said something about mortgage backed securities prior to the collapse in 2008. 
we had built a massive society-wide fiction, which uh, the Mandarins had called the Great Moderation. And this is one of the things that gives me confidence that when large numbers of well-credentialed and well-spoken experts sitting in the most powerful positions in your society all agree on something, you should not be intimidated or cowed because what's quite possible is, is that groupthink has taken over the entire system. And after uh, 2009, when we held a conference at the Perimeter Institute, where we tried to bring in people from outside the financial community to look at the financial crisis. Welcome to the Economic Manhattan Project. Oh, this is great. These are all people who claim who will have like spurious. This is we should probably find this video, right? Because it's probably a video of people who have very spurious claims, very hard to back up claims that they predicted the, the 2008 uh, financial crisis got a very good view of why and how the individual expert communities resist visitors from other fields because the visitors from other fields don't have any allegiances and the people who are in that particular field wait people who aren't in what the fuck is he talking about you don't have any allegiances yeah you did you are a, you are a venture capitalist eric weinstein is a venture capitalist he doesn't have any allegiances get the fuck out of here I think a lot of people, especially at this time, didn't know what this guy does for a living. They didn't know that he's a VC. Have built up to very defensive positions. So I, I got a chance to see, well, what happens when you bring mathematicians, computer scientists, theoretical physicists. Um, Gardeners? Um, carpenters? No, 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 no. Corporate executives to look at the financial crisis. <laughs> What if we bring a different group of elites in to look at what the elites we we are criticizing for being elites just to get what the fuck get the fuck out of here? Can I get a teacher? The guys who are actually doing finance get very freaked out and they circle the wagons. People sense that there's something about the incentive structures that makes the conclusions untrustworthy, even when the conclusions are right. And sometimes the conclusions of the consensus are right. That's not the issue. I think climate is a situation which my guess is, is that the climate consensus is probably correct in some sense. But many of us are very disturbed by our ability to see incentives pushing people to hold certain conclusions. So I think, I think that that. So now that's, that's weird. He's like, I think structure. the consensus around climate is correct. I just don't like what I am going to like vaguely claim the incentives are around it well what incentives and what parts are what what parts of or like what claims do you think are like negatively affected by the the incentive that you haven't described to us is enforced by taking anyone who's outside of the consensus and attaching concepts to their name so one of the experiments i tried was uh, controversial professor Paul Krugman versus controversial professor Jordan Peterson. Paul Krugman has been a controversial professor, professor for decades, but there wasn't a single hit on all of Google for the phrase controversial. I mean, this was a couple of years ago, but I think this is probably incorrect. Professor. I like how it's in all caps, too. This is one of the tricks inside of what I've called the gated institutional narrative or the gin. So in the gin, 
the way it works is that you have. Wait a minute. When you put something phrase. in, when you put something in quotes on Google, is it case sensitive? What if that was this problem? Um, could be a you know controversial strongman uh, um, Bashar al-Assad. Okay. Well, what is that telling us? It's the news media opining that we should be picking a side and that he should be on the opposite side. So when you have a situation where the news media wants to promote somebody like Paul Krugman, they don't call him controversial professor Paul Krugman. They call him New York Times columnist or Nobel laureate Paul Krugman. But if it's Jordan Peterson and Jordan hasn't signed up for some sort of consensus position, he has to be controversial professor Jordan Peterson. Now it's true that he's a controversial professor. But these are like That's low, actually, these are like very low numbers too. If you look at this, it's only like 3,100 results there. That's a low number of results, right? Gated institutional narratives, special language for telling the audience who the good guys and the bad guys are. And if you go back to professional wrestling, this would be called heels and baby faces or faces. And so the idea is that Paul Krugman would be a face and Jordan Peterson would be a heel. But instead of being open about the fact that wrestling is a simulated uh, performance sport, um, in the journalistic endeavor, we pretend that journalism is actually a search for truth, which I find hysterically funny. Oh no, they're going to talk about kayfabe now. And you've described this as kayfabe in the past. No, well... Can you explain what that is for people who've maybe not heard that term? Sure. I, I think one of the problems is that we don't have good language for dealing with multi-layered deception. And the two places that I thought had pretty good language were the intelligence community and professional wrestling. So professional wrestling uh, was the easier, uh, it's hard to get spooks to give up their secrets. So what I did is I started to look into professional wrestling and um, what, is, what are all of the terms that they have to maintain to keep track what the actual storylines are, what the simulated storyline. Sometimes you have a simulated uh, storyline that apparently breaks into actual reality like, like you're breaking the fourth wall, but it's actually a controlled structure where you're still in a fake story. What so the fuck? They call things that are fake works, and they call things that are real shoots. So a, uh, a worked shoot uh, is actually something that is set inside of a fake storyline, is apparently real and breaks the fourth wall, but is in fact fake so you're talking about tertiary and eventually quaternary levels of deception. I don't think the human mind can do much more than four. No, people understand that people like he's describing, <clears throat> he's describing a thing where some of the people that like, didn't like each other as part of the story, I guess, of professional wrestling, they didn't like each other in real life. And if I was writing the stories for that, I'd be like, well, y'all don't like each other in real life. So you're probably going to do a better job than the fake story. If you don't like each other in real life, uh, so what? Yeah, that makes the story better because these two people don't like each other already. Yeah, like if somebody in chat is saying soap operas. If two people in two uh, actors in a soap opera don't like each other in real life, maybe you maybe you write your stories to play on that because they're they're gonna sneer at each other in a slightly more believable way because they're probably really sneering at each other. This is this is pretty simple stuff layers of lying. Um, but kayfabe is the organized structure of lies that undergirds professional wrestling and is 
uh, kept it as a simulated sport for about a century. All sorts of human activity um, veer between utter terror and boredom. And why is that? Well, because if something is actually an unbounded negative potential experience, people are very hesitant to engage. So if two wrestlers uh, can really do damage to each other, they're going to circle each other for a very long time before engaging because they don't want to risk anything that they don't have to. So you can no fool. That's part of the kayfabe. That's part of it. It's like, oh, these are both real powerful, powerful men. They're fucking feeling each other out and shit. That's part of the script. That's part of the ballet. You idiot. You absolute dumb fuck. That's part of the story of the match. And they're going to play it up because that's the fucking script. What the shit is this guy talking about? Go on for four or five hours and basically nothing happened. Um, well, this is true in all sorts of endeavors. People in the know and finance don't really want to risk their money. So they come up with all sorts of elaborate ways to make sure that they're going to be okay no matter what happens. Um, in politics, the same is true. No, in, in some parts of finance, it's illegal for you to invest your own money in the things that you're telling your clients to invest or not invest in. You idiot. You don't want your financial advisor to also be a player in the market. You want them to be a fiduciary for you. You want them to have your interest at heart and not have a bunch of their own money in the market. You want their, them to have their money over in like a, um, like a mutual fund or some shit because they're being paid well enough that if they put, put their money in something that gives them back three to 5% every year or whatever, they're, they're doing just fine. You don't want them off on the side day trading. You absolute dumb fuck. Nobody wants to simply find that they're out of a job uh, because they lost an election. So there's an elaborate revolving door uh, between politically related occupations like punditry um, or uh, lobbying uh, and actually being a representative. So you have all no, the representatives go become lobbyists after they lose their election, Eric, because they already have access and that should be illegal. Right. You shouldn't be able to go maybe ten, five years after you, depending on what job you had or whatever, you should have to wait a while to go work for a lobbying firm. That's fine. Whatever you can go get a regular job. Um, but it's the reason that people do that is because they already know everybody. They already have access. They know the ins and outs of everything. They know the staff of the, of the politician you're trying to bribe or lobby or whatever. That's why they do it because they're already, they're already connected. This is, this is obvious. All sorts of fakery that is entitled, that is um, intended rather to make stable careers for the participants and to present an engaging and regular product for those in the audience. And so I believe that in some sense, um, what you're seeing is what I call K fabrication, where real activities uh, that are dangerous and or boring tend to get sanitized uh, by the participants so that they can pre present. He just told us that he doesn't understand pro wrestling or fucking the culture around lobbying and the revolving door in Washington and at your local state house. He's just like, hey, check it out. I don't understand these things. I just wanted to make sure you knew that. And as if product uh, to, to those outside of the structure 
and not themselves get hurt and continue to make money off of it. And I think that that's what happened. In We're going to go ahead and call this Eric's razor. It's the opposite of Occam's razor. It's like the most complicated and convoluted uh, answer for the reason something is the way it is must be true because then it makes Eric look smart when he tells you about it. It's Eric's razor. Wrestling. There's a real competition for airtime, for, for fame, but there's a fake competition, which is a scripted series of uh, pretend bouts where the decisions are actually known in advance. And that's very similar to what I see happening in war, in finance. Uh, in war? I mean, most of the wars we already knew the uh, outcome of them, honestly, but it's because America is a mega power and we're the ones in, like fucking starting all of them. But not a lot of kayfabe going on in war, I'm afraid. It'd be nice for the, uh, <clears throat> the, the civilians in other countries if there was a bit more kayfabe going on in war, if we're going to be honest, right? In media and particularly journalism. I think you've spoken before about the sense that these systems get weaker and weaker as they continue. Why do you think that is? Which systems? Well, the political system, for example, um, that it seems that as time has gone on, the, the choices that we're being given in the political system get weaker and weaker. Well, because you're driving, you're systematically driving out uh, the people who should be trying to lead. You're making it so unpleasant to hold real opinions, to have real integrity. You're driving the costs of the specific group of people we need so that instead the only people who are going to show up are the people that we should fear most. The intellectual dark web is a group of people challenging the gated institutional narrative and kayfabe. Ah, <laughs> oh, they should start their own wrestling organization. They have to clean up wrestling. There was the New York Times article that, that came out and kind of named the IDW. Is there a kind of paradox in that it's no longer dark? Well, it was never dark. And that was uh, a large part of the joke. Um, it was a joke. We see. have only been dark to one thing, and that thing is the institutional media and the main platforms, be they academic or governmental. So, uh, if you will, I think that the mainstream media has pretended not to notice us, as just as they've pretended to find it, everything we say either vapid or outrageous. But I think that uh, self-serving, uh, delusional. Um a lot of times the things they say that are true are like kind of obvious things. And then when they, they like say things that are, they, that seem insightful, they're crazy. Like what the, what the way he described pro wrestling and, uh, the revolving door in lobbying, the answers to those things are kind of obvious. And the way he described them was like overly complicated, convoluted. And like his description only served essentially to signal to the audience that he's sm the smartest guy in the room. You know, what, what's really going on is that there's been a monopoly effectively on narrative held by the collection of major institutional voices. The true spectrum of thought is far broader than um, people have been led to believe. And I think that's where the IDW comes in, that we are it's not that we're just outside of the Overton window. Many of the points we're making really aren't found anywhere inside of uh, mainstream media and established institutions. Even like which ones? Many of these 
things that we are talking like the about. way you described wrestling simply commonplace observations did you have any doubts about that new york times article i mean i had uh i had an infinite number of doubts about the new york times article. yeah but you stood in front of the plant oh no this guy stood on a fucking street where he walks down and nobody waves to him part of me wants to work uh quietly and part of me realizes that we have to work in some public facing capacity and I personally have found it much more comfortable to have a private life, um, to not have uh, everything that I'm thinking um, broadcast uh, to a large audience. But I think we've run out of time. And so um, I think some of us are somewhat reluctantly uh, choosing to make a, a different call now. So you're, you're talking about a different way of thinking, people who have a different way of thinking. Is that what characterizes the members of the IDW? It's hard to say. I mean, I would say that everybody in the IDW is fairly disagreeable in the sense of big five personality inventory. So can you hold a position when you're the only person in a room that believes that thing? Like if it's you versus 100 people, I would say almost everybody in the core of the IDW uh, is capable of holding a position where everyone is against you. And I think that that trait is extremely rare. Do you see the IDW as primarily a political project? No, I don't. I, it I is. See it, it primarily as a precursor to anything decent. It, it, it's what, what has does that to mean? succeed for us to have a political conversation. I don't think we're having a political conversation. Well, no, because political pundits mostly think you're full of shit. And then when they offer to talk to you on the air, you like demand that they have a private phone call with you. And then you uh, badmouth them and, and, um, and say that, uh, that they were perfectly polite to you on the private phone call, but that having a public conversation with them would be uh, useless. Uh, either internationally or nationally. I think we have people who are talking about nonsense positions. We just went back to the immigration position. There are only two positions I'm convinced aren't political. One is open borders, which is never going to happen. And the other one is closed borders, which is never going to happen. And yet, you very often encounter people who are talking in these terms as if um, these are the actual positions. So I don't think that we're having a like. But who's talking about it like that? What's been going on is, is that there, these people never name any names. Like who's talking about it in like absolutes like that? I think even people who are staunchly anti-immigration are not going to say just completely close the border because then you're like not allowing like goods to pass across the border forget forget people for a second you're just not allowing goods to cross the border either if you completely close it down not great the mainstream media has been playing keep away ball right so this game where you're throwing the ball over somebody who's trying to catch it now the public has been trying to get in on this conversation but what keeps happening is is that our fake left and our fake right are engaged in a completely fake conversation about fake items including fake news which they themselves are pushing out and then claiming to fight fake news. So the whole thing is so saturated in falsehood um, that people are waking up to the idea, oh, I've forgotten what it sound, sounded like for people to actually have a discussion about a topic and how much time it takes. Uh, you know, in general, it can't be done. Well, the reason it takes so much time is um, because, you know, the people in this, this grouping that they're talking about <clears throat> make it take that long. Uh, four or five voices on a panel in 10 minutes with a few commercial interruptions. There's just, 
almost nothing can be discussed that way. And what's, what's worse is that the very people who would be best able to discuss it are never going to be invited onto those programs. In a way, the yeah, but like when I have people on that I disagree with, I'm not gonna like when I interview, like when I talk to Jim Lee, I I, I cut him off, I cut it off after about 30 or 45 minutes because like I didn't, there was no point in us continuing to go around and around and around and around and around. I had other shit to talk about, and like um, mainstream news is in a, in a position that they're put in by advertising basically, but there's also some like there's like a lot of value in not wasting everyone's time by having someone on to tell you everything they think about every motherfucking thing in the world. Like if somebody like really understands something, they can explain it to you in a fairly short amount of time. They're not going to get into every aspect of it, but they can explain like enough so that you get where they're coming from in a fairly short amount of time in the IDW have been selected for, like a lot of them have had quite high profile encounters. You, you look at um, Sam Harris with Ben Affleck, or you look at Brett Weinstein, um, and there, there's a sense that they've in some way had to live out their ideas. There's a sense of bravery that they've had to stick up for themselves. Jordan Peterson and C-16, I mean, you could, you could yeah, but, list a lot of time. But he lied about C-16, so he's just doubling down sticking up for yourself and doubling down i think are two different things and they have two different connotations for a very good reason is where as you said they had to be that one person who was thinking a certain thing no i mean i think i made the point probably on the rubin report that what's going on is that when you ask any large collection of people to salute a nonsensical flag and pledge allegiance to it and more or less everyone makes the calculation I guess if this is going to get me through my day, I'll salute any flag. Then you've got the one gal or one guy who doesn't want to. Well, my observation is that that person is usually sitting on an entire mountain of interesting thoughts that they don't have the freedom to simply make a convenience readjustment. Hmm? And so from that perspective, yeah, in general, if you ask uh, a thousand people to salute a flag that makes no sense and tell them that they'll be incentivized. You'll get a thousand dollar check at the end or you will salute whatever fucking flag you want. If all I have to do is salute that flag and you give me a thousand dollars, I don't give a shit. I'll donate that money to a good cause myself. Won't lose your job. And somebody stands up and says, no way I'm getting out of here. Do what you want. That person is usually much more interesting than just being a contrarian. They're usually independently wealthy if they can do that actually. And that's the thing that a lot of the people in this so-called intellectual dark web, like, Eric Weinstein could never work a day in his life and just sit on a fucking beach and sip cocktails. He'd probably own the beach. Sam Harris was born with more money than I think I'll ever make. Like his mom like was the producer or the director. I think she was the producer. That's the money person for the Golden Girls. Like that's that's what's missing from the the analysis here is that it's easy to do all this when <clears throat> when your material needs are met, you know? That person is usually saying no because they've got an entire worldview that is uh, built by hand and, and, and bespoke. And so that's why this method of finding people has been relatively fruitful. It's people who don't back down usually don't back down for a reason because there's every reason just to go along. It seems that the, the phenomena of the IDW is, is part of this great intellectual awakening. I mean, you're seeing people being really hungry for long-form content on YouTube three-hour conversations, people are 
are clearly hungry for a lot more intellectual stimulation. I don't, than they I don't actually agree right. with this. I mean, this is an idea that um, I think Jordan has slightly wrong. Uh, so uh, for a while, I've been making the point that there was a change between um, writing for television was sort of the lowest form of uh, uh, of an art, and Wait, writing why? for movies allowed for real character development. But that the Wait, what? Um, multi season, but like a movie's like fucking two hours long. If it's a kind of a long movie, if you do a TV series. Some TV shows are like an hour. They drop down to 40 minutes or whatever with commercials. You could do three, three episodes of that fucking TV show. And now you've had more time for character development than that a whole ass movie had. Multi-episode shows with very long storylines actually has the greatest character development. Oh, I agree so with him. The, the greatest that. writers are now writing for TV. The important thing to understand is, is that it's not just the advent of long form podcasting. What it is, is having the courage to say something using that medium. You have long form podcasts that aren't attracting almost anybody. And the only reason that the IDW uh, is behaving in a different fashion is that it's mar married. Because you all have money and uh, some of you are already uh, famous like Joe Rogan and Sam Harris. The content that brave people are starved for with the change in technology. And so in general, most things don't work in a three hour format. What works in a three hour format is when you're living through what I'm calling left Carthyism, left Carthyism, left, which is my side of the aisle has gone so completely insane that people are starved for normal conversation as if it was some as that in the former Soviet Union. And so you have an underground network if you will, um, that is supplying that need for reality. Uh, and the only reason we're underground is because the main underground network of rich white guys with uh, tons of money and a lot of uh, followers underground dream is pretending for the most part, not to notice that this phenomenon is existing. <clears throat> this guy's like throwing the ultra ultra music festival. And he thinks he's throwing an illegal rave in a fucking warehouse without a permit. It's fascinating. And you've described this as a civil war within the left. Could you, could you explain what you mean by that? Sure. The left that I relate to is the left that realizes that the past cannot supply the answers and that we have to actually progress because we can't stay here. It is not the left that believes we can wish ourselves into a beautiful future by pretending that the, re that the world is different than it actually is. So I, I think that the key thing that is an agreement between these two groups is that we have to get to some sort of better place. And that is the, the progressive in progressivism where we are deeply divided. And, you know, again, these are the divisions that are is much worse than between left and right. Um, how these absolutely imbecilic figures believe that you can just wish yourself into paradise. Like who's he talking about? I'm just so like, who are these imbecilic figures that think you can just wish yourself into paradise? Like, I don't even know who he's criticizing. Like people come after us. Okay. Not us, me for 
they're like, oh, your show is, you go read the, read the reviews or read any YouTube comment. If you see them of the intellectual Dollar Tree or whatever, they're like, well, you're insulting this person and you're going after their character and whatever. And I'm well, at least motherfucker, at least who I'm going after has a name. At least you can look at the body of work of the person I'm talking about and you see if what, what I'm saying, like makes sense to you or whatever. This guy is just like, oh, it's just this group of people that thinks they can fucking wish with magic fairy dust. And it's like, well, who? That you don't have to worry about markets. That you can just say, you know, free good things for everybody. Well, it just doesn't make a whit of sense. Or, you know, you're going to wish human beings to be both simultaneously non-diverse so that you can argue that any difference in pro rata shares of a group uh, in any occupation is evidence of oppression. And then you're going to turn Well, discrimination. That people are actually incredibly different because we're going to get a huge benefit from diversity. I mean, this is not even self-consistent. This is, this would be offensive to an, an intelligent five-year-old. So I don't really believe that these progressives, uh, as they call themselves, and regressives, as some of us call them, uh, are even making serious intellectual points. They're sort of trolling by... But, like, that's the thing is, like, I don't think that Eric or I are really in a position <clears throat> specifically to decide who is making an intellectual point. I make fun of people when they're contradictory or they seem to be delusional and have, like, fucking an inflated sense of themselves. But I'm not the fucking... I'm not the fucking decider on who has an intellectual point. And Eric certainly isn't. I mean, all he does is like says crazy shit and then whines when people make fun, make fun of him. Like pretending to believe in all things um, that just gum up the works. And so it's very important to me that not only do we not really spend time debating people who are not serious. In but that's a good way to just like not ever have a discussion with somebody who's critical of you. Right. This is what I keep coming back to with these people. They're like, oh, we have all perspectives in our grouping of people. Except if somebody made fun of me. Oh, they made, they're not serious. They're making fun of me. Well, what if they have a fucking point in the middle of their joke about you? What if, what if their joke is because they've observed your behavior and find some of your um, behavior kind of funny? Well, they're not serious because they're making fun of me. Well, then I don't know what to tell you, man. Put on your big boy pants if you're going to go out there and um, put your ideas into the marketplace intellectualism, but that we realize that it is important to the diversity of mature and important ideas that we not spend undue effort engaging uh, ideas that are functioning very differently from regular conversation. It is as if um, somebody asks, should we have a diverse dinner tonight? Well, we could invite somebody from this position, from that country, from this gender. And then should we, should we invite a suicide bomber? Well, well that's crazy. I, I mean, if your dinner party, like if I had a dinner party, uh, it'd be a fairly diverse group of people. It'd be older people, younger people, black people, you know, people from uh, Latinx people. There'd be some Asian people there. A lot of, some queer people, some straight people. Maybe I'd have my mom and dad there. So would be some retired people. Have my sister there. She's a mom. Maybe I have my nephew there, toddler. Like people, like regular people, actually, if they had a dinner party, it'd be like fairly. Uh, if you live in like a diverse place, your dinner party is going to tend to be fairly diverse. You don't have to like think about that stuff. If you're a suicide bomber, you're that 
bit of diversity is going to take down the entire conversation. But how do you know if they're a suicide? Like, what if they're a suicide bomber, but they haven't suicide bombed anyone and they're just, just this guy, you know, and then you find out later after they do a suicide bombing that they were at your dinner party as well as all the people at the table. Right. Well, these are like suicide. You only do a suicide bombing once, right? <laughs> this is like a really dumb example because I think, and <clears throat> I know that I'm, uh, you know, not engaging this properly in an intellectual way here, but I feel like, I feel like suicide bomber is possibly the shortest career path you could ever go down. Cause this, as soon as you do your best work, your career's done. Bombers in terms of their ideas, they are attaching themselves to real conversation. Oh, now, now it's that a suicide bomber is somebody who he thinks has a bad idea. It's like a, an idea suicide bomber. So that's somebody who's not going to take him seriously i think is what he generally means based on everything we've seen him say blowing up the conversation so that you can't actually speak and i think what we need is we need to realize that the diversity of ideas that have to be explored um hinges on not allowing in bad diversity that is <laughs> so we have to allow all ideas just not the ones you know that i think are bad like this is it like it already collapses in on itself. As soon as you think about what he's saying for just a second, it doesn't even matter if like you're of his general mindset or whatever. As soon as he starts saying, Oh, we have to have a we have to allow all ideas and have a diversity of opinion, all oh, but not that opinion. And when he says not that opinion, when he says suicide idea suicide bomber, he means people that make fun of him and his friends. You don't want a single person at the table who wants to scuttle the conversation. And that's not something that we've understood about the modern left. The modern left is very often focused on scuttling any realistic conversation about so what that it can continue to threaten and terrorize people into pretending to hold positions that no sane person could possibly hold. Why do you think it's become like this? Well, I think my wife probably has the best explanation, which is that, uh, when you're actually dependent on labor for your voter base, labor has economic issues. So this is the great search for something cheaper than labor. What? And identity turns out to be much cheaper than labor. If you can get somebody to vote for you, uh, where you're gonna take uh, their future, their security and their retirement, but you're going to celebrate the fact, you know, that they came from Laos, um, that's a bad deal. Nothing against the Laotians, but for God's sake, stand up for yourself as a worker before you, you know, stand up for yourself as uh, this guy's a venture capitalist. I just want you to, as he talks about like uh, labor, I want you to keep in mind that this guy's a venture capitalist and he works for Peter Thiel. Somebody who needs to see Southeast Asia celebrated on the national stage. It's not that exciting. Demand more from from uh, your representatives. This is the great search for the cheapest possible constituency. And that's exactly why I think it's happening. I think it's because um, the traditional Democratic voter base um, was too expensive. They wanted real change. They wanted to participate economically. They wanted to participate at the level of power. Um, the, fuck? The, the donor base said, is there, isn't there anything cheaper than labor? And I think they found something. And where do you hope that this IDW conversation will go in the future? Well, I hope it goes to the heart of everything that is um, 
denying our ability to use our eyes and our ears and our minds as decent people. If you're simply observing the world as it is, and you're thinking about it with a big open heart, and you're trying to be decent about it at the same time that you're trying to provide for your family and concerned about your country's welfare, uh, there's no reason that you should be huddling uh, in the cupboard, afraid that uh, if anyone hears that you think that men are different from women, what the fuck? Uh, that you're going to be consigned to the dustbin of history and fired for it. It's absolutely essential that people stop being terrorized for holding garden variety positions. So like most people when they die, by the way, are uh, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it's just the way of the world, right? Most of us, when we die, we are relegated to the dustbin of history, right? There's going to be a body of work that I'm going to leave behind. Do you think anybody's going to be looking at it? I mean, I got to get way more famous than I am now if anybody's going to look at like what I am. So this is, again, this is from a place of like, oh, well, I'm important. And so, and so are these people. Everyone has a right to be important. And no, you don't. And there's like a, a disconnect in all of this between what you think and what you do. Every one of us thinks a bunch of fucked up things all the time. Do we act on them? No. Because they're fucked up. Those things are fucked up. If, every, if you think or act on everything you say, you're fucking crazy. And people should disregard you. They should disregard you and not hang out with you and not invite you to the dinner party or maybe the barbecue if it's a little bit cooler. And I, you know, as we probably start to step away from covering Eric and, and as we've stepped away from covering Brett, I just want to, I just want to like reiterate that this guy is like, oh, we have to have all these ideas here, but oh, we, uh, no, 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 not that guy. That guy's going to make fun of me. That guy's going to mock me and criticize me. That guy's going to make jokes about the things that I'm saying. That guy's going to suggest to you that I'm full of shit and that I'm arrogant and that maybe you should maybe not listen to me. So we don't want him at the conversation. We just want people there talking about ideas. We don't want people there who are skeptical or maybe even cynical. We don't want people there who think that maybe you shouldn't have a hero because what if, what if, what if I'm the real hero? And nobody's the real hero. Nobody's a genius. We shouldn't have a public intellectual as a thing. Are there people who are smart and say cool things? Yeah, otherwise I wouldn't be here. And uh, somebody in the chat jokingly said I'm their hero. I hope that's not true, but I do hope you enjoy this stream and I hope you enjoy your time that you spend here. Uh, me and HK will talk a little bit next week before the show about how we're going to change up the intellectual dollar tree. You probably won't notice too much change, but we're going to we're gonna jettison some of these fucking people we've been talking about for uh, for all this time. and. Try to find new and try to find new infuriating people who sniff their own farts to talk about. Anyway, this has been the Intellectual Dollar Tree. If you want to support this project, go to echoplexmedia.com slash support. We're going to head on into the post-game red light. If you're listening on uh, the podcast, actually now on Spotify, I think I've connected our Patreon to Spotify. So you should be able to click something somewhere that you, that'll let you... Um, just join our uh, Patreon via Spotify. I'll have to figure out how that works because I just set that up today. Uh, but otherwise, eplex.store has a similar membership to Spotify, but you get uh, discounts on all of our swag. And of course, if you can't, uh, if you can't pay or you don't want to pay, you can just email me, echo at echoplexmedia.com, and I'll send you a link to the fucking file. I'm not actually paywalling a video file or an MP3. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. HK will be back next week. I'm going to change the contents of my drink and the color of the lights in the studio. Uh, this is Boomers by Periscope.
can't get enough Echoplex and want to keep the conversation going with the hosts and community when we're not live, then join our Discord server at discord.me slash Echoplex. We have text channels, voice channels, meme repositories, and a whole section of screenshots that we don't even remember where they came from. Come join the Now Space on Discord at discord.me slash Echoplex.